Hello, my name is Misha Kuskorski. I'm a professor of digital strategy, analytics, and innovation at IMD Business School. And today I'm delighted to welcome Serena Lin, who's the Chief Transformation and Talent Officer at Bayer. Serena, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. Thanks so much, Misha. Great to be here. Serena, I want to talk to you about what's happening at Bayer in terms of this digital transformation and really just get into understanding how you change the leadership to match your new strategy. Bayer comprises three different divisions, crop science, pharma, and consumer health. Each is pursuing a different digital transformation strategy that fits best with its industry. So let's start with crop science. What is the big promise of digital transformation at crop science? And what are some of the first investments you made in this transformation? And how did you scale them? Yeah, thank, thanks, Meshach. I think indeed our three divisions indeed are uh, looking at digital transformation quite differently. I think starting with crop science, you know, ultimately, if you think about what crop science tries to do is really driving for much better efficiency, much better precision farming, right, and also convenience for our farmers and eventually for the consumers. And in especially given the number of variables uh, related to farming, where the digital tools comes in is, is tremendous, right? And starting with data science that can provide much better sort of digital tools in terms of both predictive and also prescriptive capabilities to the farmers in terms of when to plant, how to plan and how to do crop protection to get the best yield. That's a critical sort of set of ecosystem in terms of number of variables that need to come together, powered by a truly sort of analytic skills behind the scenes to empower the farmers to do what they need to do in terms of making better decisions. And how did you start? What were some of the things that you did first and how did you scale them up? Yeah, we've uh, made a number of investments in, in that particular field. and. We um, acquired Monsanto several years ago, where the, the climate field view solution was one of the flagship products that was developed uh, under Monsanto. And the idea there is to say, how do you develop a product that can really target the specific applications of herbicide? So it's precision farming at its best. And again, it by taking into the variables, including soil health, including the climate, including also the farmer's own preferences. And some of the investments are done to really build that digital tool set that offers not only the, the, the tool itself, but also sort of ongoing monitoring tools that, that the farmers can use so that they have a way of monitoring, adjusting their decision-making and, and be able to make better decisions. Oh, and by the way, I think a critical piece of a farmer's decision-making is also how do they also uh, contribute to climate change in terms of reducing greenhouse gas. And this is something that part of this digital tool that allow us to do. And I also say maybe the other piece to mention, I think you asked about what are some of the investments we made. So there's this particular tool that, that is developed with a view of farmer facing. But I think really importantly is also how we think about digitalization of our own product development, also supply chain. We know that there are tremendous opportunities for us to optimize how we develop these sort of products and also scale them up. And we are quite committed and have invested quite a bit in terms of really understanding how digital analytics, right, drive for much more accelerated product development cycle so that they can push the products out there quicker and scale them up quicker. This is what I always found very impressive about what you're doing. You're investing in 
a core set of ecosystem investments and you are deriving a lot of benefits for this, right? You're deriving benefits for the farmer. The farmer becomes much more effective, much, much more profitable. Uh, the planet becomes a, a better place to live and you internally uh, become more efficient. So, so this is great. What has worked best for you so far from the things that we've named? And what is it that you're still working on? Yeah, I, I think, Mishak, what you said is exactly spot on, right? I think what worked well is indeed realizing that this is an ecosystem play. It requires the understanding of the farmer's user behavior, understanding the data science, understanding the environmental effect in terms of data gathering and, and analytics, and also understanding how the solutions need to be offered in such a way that's understandable and manageable. So I think sort of understanding this is an ecosystem and requires the stakeholders to come together is a critical aspect of this. And I think what we continue to work on is still right this tailoring, if you will, of this opportunity for the farmers, recognizing that how do we continue to make this user-centric, recognizing that other farmers have different set of decisions they're making, and how do we best sort of tailor the tool in such a way that help them make the decisions that's most critical for them? And two is the continued improvement of data analytics. The variables affecting farming is complex and tremendous, right? Whether it's changes in the water level in the soil, changes in the climate in terms of temperature, how will that affect crop and what kind of crop protection need to be used. The complexity of it required, you know, constantly updating the algorithms as well, understanding of how to improve data analytics. So improving data analytics and improving that call it user experience and usability, improving obviously if ultimately the product and solutions we offer in terms of reliability, those are the things that we continue to work on. You know, as I listen to you, I'm just reminded just how monumental of a transformation it is for crop science. You're moving from a company that essentially started with what we would call in digital transformation a sort of hardware, right? Um, right. Your pesticides, insecticides, and seeds and fertilizers, and you're moving into a software company, which is a impressive and, and it just shows how much effort needs to go into into this transformation i'm also very curious about what's happening in pharma because i know there is an equally monumental effort going on there so share with us what you're doing there please yeah indeed right i think for pharma digital transformation is critical i think in in, in multiple ways i think I mean, there's truly um, a huge opportunity to say, how do we think about not just curing diseases, but actually preventing them or actually cure them fundamentally at the root level? And I think this requires a couple of things. It requires sort of innovation in terms of how we do disease sort of uh, identification. What kind of disease are we going to sort of double down on? It requires a change in how we think about how you use digital to do clinical research and clinical trials. And ultimately, also, how do we think about digital technologies in terms of, in some cases, how do you apply the medicine for the to the patient, right? Because ultimately, precision medicine requires a true understanding and combination of biology and technology, both in terms of diagnostic as well as treatment. And this is where the, the digital aspect really sort of, it becomes critical in every step of the, the value chain, if you will, in, in terms of pharmaceutical development and in terms of application. And I think what's really amazing here is also this true set of transformations. One, transformation to your existing business and really thinking about 
how we make the quote unquote pill more efficient, how do we make the treatment more efficient and effective, right? But you also um, noted in the same way as we saw in crop science, how you're developing a new stream of services, new stream of opportunities for the consumers and the patients and the doctors to avoid diseases in the first place. And I'm very, very curious, how are you thinking about structuring investments between these two fields? Because after all, they are very, very distinct. So what kind of mindset do you bring to figure out how to invest in each? Yeah, indeed, right. I, I think that this is probably iterative process, Mishak, because I I think even when we think about return on investment for these digital uh, related investments, I think recognizing a lot of it, especially in the early days, it is still about almost paying the tuition to learn, to learn what you mm -hmm. learn so that you can you can make better decisions going forward. But I think for us, there's a couple of ways of thinking about this. There's one aspect which is really about investing in the frontiers so that we are in touch with what is out there in terms of the, the latest, especially in terms of treatment possibilities so that we are we have a seat at the table. So for example, we invested quite heavily in a number of machine learning algorithms and partnership with a number of research universities and, and institute so that we are always in touch with the latest development. And two is continued investment in growing platforms such as cell and gene therapy, which is we believe is, is indeed the next frontier in terms of precision medicine, in terms of a combination of biology and technology and building that platform to see what works. But I, I think ultimately recognizing that we're still in the early days, especially in terms of pharmaceutical sort of digital evolution, the key is going to be planting enough seeds, have a really quick sort of learning feedback loop. So understand what works and be able to adjust the course as we go. And again, I think the idea of ecosystem again is very important here. If I understand correctly, a lot of the new developments, such as the one that you're doing for CETA, uh, has been developed with a number of partners, including Merck. And I also know that you do have quite a lot of what I believe you call lighthouse projects that are really trying to keep you at the frontier. So how do you think about investing in these partnerships and how do you think about investing in this lighthouse project yeah i think you're right right i think you mentioned a number of these collaborations where you know it is a bit of a combination of um, assessing sort of impact across the different projects of what we think is probably closest related to the kind of success that we expect to see but I think equally importantly is also thinking about how these various investments might be complementary to each other. I think part of this ecosystem building idea is also to say, recognizing that some of these challenges going forward is not a one person or one team show. It will require different partners bring different skill sets. So part of the investment is understand the complementarities of the various pieces and be able to adjust them as we go. And I think the third aspect of it, it is probably recognizing the partners might be, might no longer be the traditional partners that we think about, especially in terms of pharmaceutical development. You know, there are a number of sort of deeply technical, right, digital technology companies that are our partners because they are just tremendously uh, well-equipped in terms of doing data mining. For example, they're not traditional pharmaceutical companies. So for us, it is really looking at different factors and say, how do we best build the set of possibilities if you will, um, that eventually help sort of advance this, uh, the idea of the ecosystem and be able to adjust as we go. Let's talk about consumer health. Consumer health is also going through a massive digital transformation. So I'm very curious how you're seeing it. 
yeah. what are we learning from this what are the consumers getting out of this what are you getting out of this very curious what you have yeah consumer health is an interesting business because ultimately at the end of the day you and i we are all consumers right and i think as consumer health evolves one of the key insights is more and more of consumers nowadays want to take healthcare uh, holistically in their own hands. So the, the idea of self-care, the idea of precision health, the idea of acquiring information on my own and having a say in how I want to take care of myself, both in in doing sickness as well as doing when I'm well, uh, in terms of what I eat, how I treat. I think these are some of the critical insights to think about what the consumers of the futures are looking for. So from a digital transformation perspective for consumer health, it is really focusing on that. It's how do you give consumers that kind of the ability and the mandate to allow them to sort of take care of their own health care and wellness needs. And this, again, I think that the same sort of partnership idea is on the table, recognizing that we cannot be and are definitely not the only company that is thinking this way. So how do you create that ecosystem and build that digital solution where the consumers know, yep, there is a objective, ideally, right, one, one-stop shop in curating the kind of information that they find objective and useful, and therefore, and, and then have that trustworthiness that they're willing to continue to engage. So for us, we continue to, to find that kind of ecosystem, as well as um, uh, finding different partners uh, to be able to sort of create that kind of a value proposition for the consumers. The last point that you said is super interesting, because even though at the beginning of our conversation, you, we said that crop science pursues a different strategy from pharma and pursues different strategy from consumer health. At the end of the day, it seems like all three divisions are actually pursuing a very, very similar strategy in that they're very, very uniquely focused on solving consumer problems. And the crop science is the farmer and pharma is either the doctor or the patient and consumer health is, is, is you and I, everybody else. And so it's really interesting how digital really has brought you much closer to the consumer, has made you a much more consumer-centric company. And I think we'll touch upon this in a second about what it means for leadership. But I'm curious, what have you learned as the head of transformation at Bayer about the transformation processes here? What are some of the similarities that you've seen across uh, these different divisions and what are some of the differences that you are still seeing between them? Yeah, I, I would underscore exactly that insight you just highlighted, Mishak. I think indeed, right, ultimately when we talk about digital transformation, I think one of the key learning here is what's the anchor? When we talk about digital transformation, what, you know, to what end is this good for? And ultimately it does always anchor back to how do we deliver the evolving, call it customer needs, right? Whether it be the consumer, be it the patients, be it the farmers, and also be a step ahead of it, right? So I think that is definitely the governing thought here. But I would also say, you know, as, as you also hear, I think about all the divisions, as well as our functions within, within Bayer, a critical part of the digital is also to really ask the question is how do we transform our businesses using digital capabilities? And I, I think your question about what have I learned, I think it, it is that, right? It is, you know, everybody defines digital differently. So the question is how do we sort of, 
galvanize the organization and, and be able to start painting more of a common vision and direction of what digital should mean for an organization as large and complex as, as Bayer. So sort of creating a common vision and a bit of a common roadmap, right? Um, that's both division specific, but also as for Bayer as a whole is, is a critical sort of almost step one of this journey. And I think the second part of that is the learning. So now that you have the vision, how do you create that learning opportunity to make sure that people do start speaking in common languages and be able to use so that the learning and put it into their everyday work, right? Because I think a critical thing here is when we talk about digital, digital clearly is not just owned by those people who have a title that have digital in their title, right? Digital so it exists everywhere in the organization, whether it's customer facing or not. So it becomes a mindset question of how do people understand what is that the digital can do and should do for them, whether they're in a functional role or whether they're in a commercial role or in a business development role. So that's a critical aspect of helping to drive that mindset so that it is on the forefront of our leaders when they think about what they do and what is it that the digital could do for them. So I think creating that learning opportunity, creating that common set of languages, continue to drive that awareness that you know digital needs to sort of permeate throughout the organization. Those are probably some of the things I would highlight. Interesting. So, so it does actually bring me to my next set of questions, which are around organizational design, uh, the ways you work at Bayer, as well as the uh, way you lead at Bayer. Talk, if you can, a little bit about how you've actually implemented all of these massive changes across the three divisions. What are some of the key organizational design decisions that you made to enable the transformation? And, and what are some of the decisions that maybe have slowed you down? Yeah, it's a great question because it's a tough one to answer. We actually did not tackle organization design as part of this. I think part of the decision here is to say, ultimately, if we think about, or I think about transformation or specifically digital, given that it is so cross-cutting, no matter how you end up designing organization with lines and boxes, it will require, call it cross-functional, cross-box collaboration and cross-team. So unless you completely change the entire organization, there will be trade-offs and there will be primary versus secondary axes in terms of how you design an organization. So ultimately, instead of changing the organization design, it's more important that we create an environment that foster cross-functional collaboration, that foster more exchanges in terms of best practices, and that builds the awareness and mindset of what is the, the future that we want to drive towards. So part of the, the transformation journey is this introduction of a set of new leadership expectations, how we want leaders to lead, and that apply to not just digital, but really transformation at a broader sense, what we call engage, shape, perform. We're basically saying, look, you know, in, in this transformation journey, we expect leaders to engage differently, engage themselves, engage their teams, engage cross functions differently that really drive that sort of ownership mindset as well as sort of the, the mindset of um, really looking into the future, right? So that engagement piece of it. And then shaping it is clearly critical when we talk about transformation. The idea that status quo is not enough, you know, the future is uncertain, but we have to be able to shape it so that the organization is ready for that. This is the second piece of it. And last but not least, clearly perform. 
performing not just for today, but also performing with a goal toward the future. So instead of changing the organization design, it is really is more of putting a, a, a layer of leadership expectations on the organization that said, this is what we're expecting you to do now. We're not going to change the lines and boxes, but we're expecting leaders to step up and lead differently to be able to drive these transformation journey forward. Can you maybe give us an example of where you saw that work really well? I think our listeners would really appreciate getting a, a concrete sense of how this actually works at Bayer, because I know from some of my own teaching that this is something that many, many companies struggle with. Yeah, I think uh, I will say, Mishak, we, we haven't found the perfect solution yet, right? We're in the start of this journey in terms of at least setting up this framework in terms of expectations. And where we are right now is, you know, we're sort of the first year of this journey and really basically said, you know, if we can clearly articulate what we expect leaders to do or to behave rather, then how do we make sure that we equip them? with some of the, call it the basic skills or remind them of the basic skills as a leader to allow them to do the job better. And a big part of this, you know, so for example, engagement and also shaping the organization, we basically say as a leader, you need to start by you know, creating a trusting environment with your team so that the ideas can flourish. It's inclusive. That's a critical piece. So building trust. And the second piece as a leader is we basically said for you to also drive the performance of your team to able to shape the environment and perform, you need to become a coach. You need to know how to give constructive feedback and you need to hold your teams accountable for performance. So driving coaching conversations, driving performance dialogues become a, a really critical part of it. And the third is actually helping leaders to really set audacious goals, right? That is tailored to their teams and tailored to, to the individuals they have on their team. So we're really going back to the, the fundamentals to say transformation starts with the leaders equipped with the ability to build trust, to know how to coach, to know how to give feedback, hold them accountable for doing exactly those and be able to drive performance and really drive performance culture in the organization as a starting point. And the idea is basically to say, you know, starting with that performance culture, the trust, the coaching, the leaders then will start to build that environment for transformation and holding them accountable for the kind of transformation journey that we expect them to see so that the entire organization start to see the movement across the organization. But I will say again, we're early, right? We, we, we launched this in the beginning of this year. Now, our top 500 leaders have gone through a series of training exactly along those lines. And we are rolling this out to the next 10,000 leaders to build a skill set so that, again, similar to our digital transformation, to build a set of a common language and dialogue in terms of how we drive this forward. I mean, two things come loud and clear to me. Uh, Bayer, you guys do everything at scale, right? If it's digital transformation, it's at scale. If it's leadership transformation, it's at scale. And in some ways, that's what we're seeing quite a lot in our research, right? When you want to be successful with digital transformation, you have to be audacious, both in terms of your strategy, as well as how your leaders are going to lead that transformation. The second thing you said that, that's very, very interesting is how you're approaching leadership. I myself have done quite a lot of research on leadership skills required for digital transformation. And a number of my colleagues at IMD have done a similar research, and we're all coming to a very, very similar conclusion. We're coming to a conclusion that leaders now need to be what we call ambidextrous, or leaders need to be able to span things that look very much 
opposite to each other and things where where you basically have paradoxes and and i think you mentioned this and in, in the, some of the examples that you gave you said we want leaders to demand performance and drive performance but we also want them to stop and coach right and i think traditionally yes. leaders are saying if i want performance i'm just going to drive performance right and you're saying no 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 you can't just do that right you have to drive performance but also stop and not tell your teams what to do but ask your teams what is the right thing to do right so this ambidexterity or this ability to engage in what seems to be very very opposite behaviors it seems to be very critical to how you're thinking about leadership what made you to actually adopt this framework what, what was the genesis of insisting on this fast and slow and you know you know go deep but go broad there's a number of themes that seem quite paradoxical there so i'm very curious you know, indeed, right? I think, you know, we obviously as a science-based company, we started with data. We started with looking at our own employee engagement surveys. We started with focus groups. We started with looking at the leadership, what we call the leadership policy. So these are 360 surveys that leaders have done and really asking ourselves, what is holding us back as an organization? And we have identified a number of challenges. We know that as an organization, we are too complex. We know as an organization, we are too slow in making decisions. We also know as an organization, we are not empowering decision-making at the lowest level. And sometimes accountability is not as clear. And these are the feedback that our, our organization gave us very consistently in all these various sort of data points and research that we have done. That really was a starting point that says, my gosh, if we don't address some of these, call it organization health questions, we are not going to remain competitive. And ultimately, in order to address these organization health questions, I think you know, that's where the leadership comes in. And you're absolutely right. I, it is indeed, right? Leaders need to be, to have this ability, both being able to zoom in and zoom out, have the ability to both drive the execution of today and deliver, as well as zooming out to say, I know how to paint this picture of where we go. And at the same time, sort of solving some of these organization challenges in terms of agility, simplicity, fast fail, 80-20, you know, these are some of the mindsets that we're trying to drive that change simply because we've seen data sets after data sets that says these are some of the, the challenges that a big complex organization like ours need to address. So I think that was a starting point. And to build on what you said, Mishak, I think first we, we call this the transformational leader that we need, right? As opposed to transactional leader that is focused a lot more on delivering the here and now, focusing on a bit more, you know, command and control, if you will. Whereas this transformational leader is the one that says, look, I can give you enough of a leeway as well as direction. And I'm going to lead this organization through a very inspirational and empathetic way uh, to lead my team. But at the same time, I am demanding. I know how to drive performance. I know how to inspire. And I am absolutely demanding the best from everyone. So it is this bit of, um, it's not a paradox, but rather it's an end, right? It is a, a leaders of the future need to have both of these abilities to, to be able to sort of cope with both uncertainty going forward, as well as recognizing it is also the changing need of the talent in terms of how talents want to be led in today's day and age. Yeah, I, I completely agree with everything you say here and, and recognize also just how challenging it is to actually become that leader. So I'm very, very thrilled to hear that you're investing quite a lot in development of these leaders so that they can actually get there. 
I'm sure our listeners are having a lot of questions, but the one that really strikes me as very, very important that we haven't talked about is Bayer is an incredibly, incredibly global organization with massive presence in Europe, obviously, massive presence in the Americas, and, and also massive presence in Asia. How do I think about the transformation processes inside of a global company? What challenges does it present? and what opportunities does it present? And maybe we can start with leadership and then we spend a few minutes on strategy just to round off our discussion on your transformation. Okay, I don't think we have a perfect answer on this one, but I think the way that we're approaching this is basically say, look, there's a global frame of what we believe a leader at Bayer need to look like and need to behave. As we, we said, look, you know, uh, uh, leadership is about, it's about both what and the how. And defining that how in terms of behavior is quite important. And that is a global frame, regardless of which country you're in or which role you're in, right? So living uh, or adhering to our values, sort of being excited about our vision of health for all, hunger for none, and sort of continue to live with what we call the life values of leadership, integrity, flexibility, and execution. And now really sort of embracing the, the leadership expectations of engage, shape, perform. These are global. These are non-negotiables. But I think what's important then is when we think about local execution, so basically adopting the set of global framework, just take engage, shape, perform as an example. We are offering global framework as well as global tools in terms of building the skill sets and capabilities. But each of the countries are actually taking those and say, let me adopt this based on a bit of the speed as well as a bit of the cultural differences of how I do this best, okay? So for example, China, one of our fastest paced countries, right? I mean, they, they take this on and they very quickly adopt it so that they can quickly those roll this out to their people leaders. So not almost in a gamification kind of setting with apps that was developed almost overnight because they have the ability to do that, which I say, great, go for it. Versus in our European countries, it's gonna be more cautious. It's gonna be a bit more top down and that's okay, right? So I think, uh, to me, it is sort of the globally sitting, you know, and the headquarters is defining the what in terms of what do we expect this journey to end up? What do we expect sort of the guardrails are in terms of values? It's also defining a little bit of the skill sets and the capabilities and tools that we can give to the organization. But a lot of the how we're leveraging the individual sort of country leadership as well as our business leadership teams to say, you got to define this sort of your need the best, right? So there is enough flexibility based on the talent, the culture of the local team uh, to drive that. As you said, this is a complex challenge, especially for an organization that's complex as like ours, and we'll continue to have to refine it. But the key is to allow the organization to know it is okay to experiment. It is okay to try. It is okay as long as we learn from it. I'm super excited to see what the future holds for your transformation and, and how you're going to master all the things that you've already started. Uh, Serena, just want to finish by giving you an opportunity to just share anything else that I should have asked you, but I did not, that you think is absolutely critical to understanding either the transformation component of your job or the talent component of your job or how the two come together. I think maybe even on your just last comment here, right? For for me, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to have this role that combines transformation and talent, which to me is not only unique, but truly I'm sort of 
of increasingly convinced that this is the right approach, because ultimately. No transformation, whether it's digital transformation or business transformation, can be done without having the right talent, right leadership, right mindset. And in fact, I would argue that that that's the starting point. Whether it's digital transformation or the broader business transformation, it is about having the right leaders with the right right inspiration and the right tools to drive it. So, in some ways, be able to tackle both at the same time is quite a unique opportunity. Not without its challenges, obviously,、uh, but I think it's the right way to think about it. Because ultimately, none of this can be successful. I think without that clear. Expectation as well as sort of、uh, promotion, right, by by the leaders、uh, who are in charge. I couldn't agree more. It is actually extremely unusual to see transformation and talent to sit together, and I think this is bodes really well for Bayer. And and the fact also that you are on the board of management also helps because then you also get a chance to discuss this broadly with your colleagues and and other functions. So, Serena, thank you so much for this conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I am going to observe very very closely how the transformation, both on the trans on the strategy side, but also on the talent side, evolves at Bayer. So, thank you so much for your time. I know you're very busy. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Mishak. Thanks for the conversation. Thank you. Bye bye.